all of my slides will be cut in half. So if you want to stand throughout the sermon, you're welcome to do so. But <laughs> if not, we will still have it up on the screen uh, so you can get the references. But why don't we break out our Bibles this morning? Actually, you, yeah, actually, we'll get our Bibles out and we'll follow along. You'll have the reference on the screen and you can, you can read the verses as we go along. So I want to start out this morning, church. It is three weeks until Christmas. Only three weeks. It's getting close. One of my favorite Christmas songs is, I'll be home for Christmas. You like that one? When I say the word home, I hope, church, that in your hearts it brings up good feelings, good emotions. What are some of those emotions or feelings when I say the word home, church? What do you feel? What are some words to describe home? Security. Comfort, blessing, love, safety, acceptance, wholeness. It's where you want to be after a long day at work, right? Doesn't matter what kind of lovely trip I take, I just can't wait to get home into my own bed. Because home is where the heart is. There was a famous baseball player whose name still escapes me. I, I knew it yesterday. But he said... When you go back to your old home, it's not the old home that you missed, it's your childhood. And there's a lot of wisdom from that old baseball player that speaks to my heart this morning as we look at our final home, the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And I don't want to focus this morning, church, on the dimensions of the new Jerusalem. It's 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high, but it's not the home, it's the feeling, it's what's there, the safety, the security, the peace, the acceptance, the love. That's all I want to focus on this morning, church, as we delve into our final home. We've been through a lot in these last days. We've been through the rapture, and I'm talking sermons. We've been through the rapture. <laughs> We've been through the tribulation, we've been through the uh, Bema Seat Judgment, we've been through the millennium, the great white throne judgment, and now we come to the final state, the new heaven and new earth and the new Jerusalem. This is where it all comes to a conclusion. And I, I have to think to myself, church, why? Do you ever think, why did God do all this? Why did God start way back here in Genesis and go through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, John, Peter, Paul, why did he do all these things? Why didn't he just say, into existence I will make a people for myself and they shall be perfect? I think there's things we need to learn. I think there's things we need to take with us into this new home that will never allow us to stop clinging to him ever again. Lessons need to be learned. But let's start. Revelation chapter 21. Now, this is John, the Apostle John. He's on the island of Patmos. He's being disciplined. He's being punished. He's exiled. And he's describing for us the new heaven and the new earth. Then I, John, saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. So at the end of the millennial kingdom, after the great white throne judgment, this present earth that rolls into the millennium and is renewed at the end of that thousand year period, that heaven and earth is totally destroyed. 
At an atomic level, 2 Peter 3 describes for us, it's burned up, every bit of it is burned up. Not all the people are burned up. Those who are unbelievers are in the lake of fire with the beast and the false prophet, but those who are believers are held by God and placed into some place called the new heaven and the new earth. But there's something interesting about this new heaven and new earth, and we see from these Verses here that there is no longer any sea in the world that will exist then. And I know I've heard this over the last several weeks because you know this verse. I love the sea. I love the ocean. I love to stand on the beach and look out at the ocean and feel the immensity of God and of creation. It's a good thing. Why on earth or in heaven will there be no sea? Well, it's because the, the concept of the sea for the Jewish mind church was very different than us leisurely watching the sea waves roll in at the beach with our blankets and our little picnic baskets and things like that. To them, the sea was something rough. The sea was something wild. The sea was something dangerous. Yes, they got their life and their sustenance from the sea, but people died doing that. Fathers died, sons died. There were storms that arose and their little boats would be crashed and dashed and torn to pieces. The sea wasn't something that they looked at and said, ah, oh, a place to relax and enjoy, though I'm sure they did enjoy the beauty of a sunset. The sea was also a dark place in the Old Testament, full of sea monsters, sharks, whales, things that could eat people, serpents, darkness, deep, deep darkness, the depths of the sea are as black as you can imagine. There is no light that gets through. The Hebrew concept of the sea was also where the Gentile hordes come from, from the sea. The sea represented unbelieving Gentile world, heathens, the sea. Where did the Antichrist come from, church, in the book of Revelation? The beast came out of the sea. So for them, the sea was darkness. It was not good. It was evil. John is on the island of Patmos. What divides him from all his friends and family? The sea. The sea is a dividing force. In the kingdom of heaven, the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no darkness. There will be no storms. There will be no people getting harmed. There will be no depths of evil and wickedness. There will be no nations roaring against the Lord saying, throw your fetters off of us. There will be no separation between family and friends. So see the symbol of the sea as something beautiful, of the sea being removed as something beautiful. But there will be water. What flows down the middle of the New Jerusalem? A river, a crystal clear river flows down the street, the street of the New Jerusalem. Where does it flow to? Maybe it flows underground, but maybe it flows to some still waters where he will lead me to gently sit beside. It's not that there won't be lakes, rivers. There won't be a sea in this new place that we find ourselves. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now that should pique our interest as Bible scholars here in the room. 
This seems to tell me that the new Jerusalem is the bride of God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Who is her husband? God. Who prepared her to be his bride? God. But didn't the Bible say that Israel was God's wife? Didn't the Bible say that the church is the bride of Christ? Why pray tell then is the new Jerusalem now the bride of Christ? Here we go, Ezekiel 16 church. Remember Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem is where everything fits together where everything that God was doing in history comes together and is perfect and is what he desires and is what he wants. So bear with me. When God wanted to make Israel his bride, look what happened, church. This is God talking to Israel. He says, then I passed by you and saw you, Israel, and behold, you were at the time for love, ready to be betrothed, ready for marriage. So I spread my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I also swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, a marriage covenant, so that you became mine, declares the Lord God. Then I bathed you with water, washed off your blood from you, and anointed you with oil. I also clothed you with colorful woven cloth and put sandals of fine leather on your feet, and I wrapped you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with jewelry, put bracelets on your wrists and a necklace around your neck. I also put a ring in your nose. Yeah, don't, don't blame me, parents. It's biblical. <laughs> I also put a ring in your nose, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver, and your dress was of fine linen, silk, and colorful woven cloth. You ate fine flour, honey, and oil. So you were exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. Then your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty. For it was perfect because of my splendor, which I bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. But what happened, church? But you trusted in your beauty and became unfaithful. I made you my bride. I adorned you for me. I gave you everything you needed to be right with me. And you became full of yourself and became unfaithful. But... There was a remnant. There was a remnant in Israel that always remained faithful, wasn't there? Always remained faithful. Praise God for the Jewish people who brought the gospel to the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, cleanse her with the washing of the water, with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Blameless. Christ preparing the church as his bride, washes her clean. If you read chapters two and three of the book of Revelation, you'll see that the fine linen gowns that the church was given have been soiled and dirtied with sin and unfaithfulness. Just like Israel, the church was no different. But there was a remnant, wasn't there? A remnant of faithful believers who are the Lord's, who have not walked away, who have not apostatized, who have not filthied their garments that were made white with the blood of our Savior 
So church, <coughs> what I want you to hear, what I want you to see is that in this new Jerusalem, he calls new Jerusalem the ultimate bride, the final bride. And we're gonna see something more in a few verses where it all comes together, that we are the bride of Christ. Israel is the bride of Christ. And in the new Jerusalem, we all come together as a people because there is no longer any sea. There's no longer any separation, but we come together as a people to be the perfect bride for God. The perfect bride for God. But before we get there, Revelation 21 verse 3 says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. That word tabernacle means dwelling place. Well, John, what's different between Jesus ruling and reigning in the millennium and this dwelling place of God. What's the difference? In the millennium, folks, was there still sin? Yes. In the millennium, was there still Satan? He was bound for a thousand years, and then what happened? He was loosed. And when he was loosed, the nations turned on God, who had ruled them for a thousand years, and they said, no, we don't want you to be our king. The millennium even is tainted with sin. But in the new heaven and new earth, the dwelling place of God will be among his people. He will be among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. A lot of people, you'll hear them say, or there might even be headings in your Bible saying the new Eden, the new garden, Folks, this is not the new garden. This is better than the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, God would come in the cool of the day and visit Adam and Eve. They lived in a perfect environment, but God would go wherever God went. And then in the cool of the day, God would visit and walk with Adam and Eve and talk with Adam, and, and they would spend time together, and then God would go. And then one day, God came looking for Adam and Eve, and they were hiding because they were ashamed and they were afraid. In this new heaven and earth, God's desire is fully met. In the new Jerusalem, there is no more any sin, there is no more opportunity for man to reject God, and that is what he has wanted all this time. When Jesus Christ came, you can, if you can't see it, in Matthew 23, 37, when Jesus Christ himself came, before he entered in Jerusalem, before his crucifixion, he stood over the city of Jerusalem. And he cried out with a loud voice, Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, how often I would have gathered you under my wings like a chick gathers her hens, but you would not have it. You would not let me gather you together, but it is my desire from all eternity to have a people who wants to be gathered together with me without resistance, without sin, without saying we've had enough of you, and the new heaven and new earth, the new Jerusalem, will be that culminating place where we will never again say, we don't want you. We will never, ever say that. The people will never say that. Revelation 21, four, and he will wipe every tear from their eye in this new heaven and new Jerusalem. 
And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. How can we listen to the Hogan toddler's story this morning and not be grieved that a father and mother have lost a child and a sister has lost a brother? How can we not be grieved? How can we not shed tears? How can we not feel the pain? Even though it's not our family, we can feel the pain. What will it be like for them in three weeks as they gather around a Christmas tree? Where will be the joy? Where will be the joy? Not around that tree. Because this world still is full of sin and death. But there is a place that isn't. Psalms 50, Psalm 56, 8. You have taken account of my miseries, God. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not all in your book? We have a God who wants to be with us who's pleaded with us to let him gather us like a hen gathers chicks under his wing and he counts every tear and he puts them in his bottle and then one day he will throw that bottle as far as the east is from the west because there will be no mourning, there will be no sadness, there will be no more tears and we won't remember those things any longer. What are you talking about? Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah, fills us in on this new heaven and new earth. For behold, I created new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Now, a lot of people struggle with that. In the new heaven and new earth, the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Does that mean that our memories of everything that has happened through eternity, through the existence of mankind, our loved ones in the past, does that mean that all that will be erased from our memories? That we will be blank slates in heaven? Good news for you. All the interpreters, all the rabbis, all the people who interpreted Isaiah and all the theologians who are any good who interpret the New Testament say that's not what God is talking about here. We do have memories in heaven. We do remember loved ones' faces. We do remember good things. What's he talking about here? Be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. The thing we won't remember is the pain the sorrow, the grief, the guilt. The day my boy passed away three weeks before Christmas. I'll remember my boy and I will rejoice, but I won't remember the pain. We will be together in heaven. And all that grief and all that sorrow will be swept away because the new Jerusalem is a place of joy. It's a place of joy. How many of you carry with you guilt? I do. There's one thing I've done in my life. I've done a lot of bad things in my life. There's one thing I've done in my life that I still have dreams about. I still think about. And I still pray to God, I wish I could go back and change this one thing. But I know I never will be able to, church. And it haunts me like you will not believe And it wasn't, I would tell you what it is, and you would think, oh, that's not really that big of a deal, but it was. I caused somebody pain. 
that they carried with them for a long time. But I don't have to carry that into the new Jerusalem. I don't have to carry that into the new heaven or the new earth because my Lord won't allow it. The new Jerusalem will be a place of joy, rejoicing. There will be no crying. There will be no tears. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of it's over. It's finished. It's all come together. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. What does that mean? How can a city have the glory of God? It's the most beautiful city you will ever see. The glory of God is inexpressible, so why should I try to express it? Her brilliance was like a very valuable stone, like a stone of crystal clear jasper. It had great and high wall, 12 gates. And listen, church, at the gates, 12 angels, not preventing people from coming in and out, but greeting them. It's not like the garden where there's an angel with a sword saying, you can't return. These gates never close. And the names written on the gates were the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, there were three gates on the north, there were three gates on the south, there were three gates on the west, and the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. It all comes together in the New Jerusalem. The 12 tribes, the bride of Israel, the bride that is Israel, the church, the 12 apostles, the 12 of the foundation, the gates, these are the bride of Christ, formed together in this new Jerusalem, which is not just walls. It's a concept. It's a spiritual concept. Yes, it's real. Yes, we'll be able to touch it with our spiritual bodies, however we touch things with spiritual bodies. But it's a concept of coming together, of completion, of sin ending, of the marriage being consummated, and life being what we never thought it could be because we are God's and he is ours. The one who spoke to me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out in a square. Its length is as great as its width, and the measure of the city with the rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length, width, and height are all equal. And he measured its wall, 144 cubits, by human measurements, which also happen to be angelic measurements. How about that? We measure like angels. Tell your husband. I know the cabinets look horrible, but you measure like an angel. Oh, church, they're describing a cube. God's describing a cube to us. A cube, a living cube. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how we picture the city. The material of the wall was jasper. The city, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city were all decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire. And he goes on and on and on. And the last verse, he says, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. It was so pure, it was like transparent glass. This was a brilliant city because it shone forth the character of God. The glory of God is the character of God. The character of God shines forth in light. Light, light is purity, God is purity. God is brilliance. 
When Moses stood on that mountain and received the Ten Commandments, the Israelites could not look at his face because he shone with the glory of God. He was illuminated by the glory of God. They said, Moses, please cover your face. We can't look at you and not see God because your face is shining with his illuminance. But church, gemologists have looked at this, and I'm not kidding. They have looked at the description of the city and the transparency and the jewels and the reflection capacity of all this finery, of all these jewels. And they said, if that was to be illuminated by something as bright as the sun, which God is brighter than that, that the human eye could not take it in without being destroyed. The human eye does not have the ability to take something that bright in without being damaged. So what's the good news? We won't have human eyes. We'll have spiritual eyes. We will see things through our new spiritual body, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But there's something more significant than that, church, I want you to comprehend. The magnificence of this city is so beyond description. Some of you may be aware, some of you may not, that the Apostle Paul, when he was attacked in Antioch, he, he was stoned and he actually died and went to paradise. And he recounts that for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. And I want to read that to you because he says something that is extraordinarily interesting about heaven. Boasting is necessary, and this is Paul defending his apostleship. Though it is not beneficial, but I will go to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ, Paul's talking about himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows such a man was caught up to the third heaven. The Jewish people believed in three heavens. This is the first heaven, the atmosphere that we breathe, the air that we breathe. Uh, The second heaven is where the sun, moon, and stars hang. The third heaven is paradise. First heaven, second heaven, third heaven. So I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. In behalf of such a man I will boast, but in my own behalf I will not boast except regarding my weakness. So Paul after being stoned for a brief period of time, was taken up into paradise. Now, church, if you were taken up into paradise, when you came back, I know you'd make a YouTube video. All right, forget that. We don't need you to do that. There's enough of those. But when you came back from your trip to paradise, wouldn't you say, you won't believe what I saw up there? I saw Jesus. I saw the Father. I saw, oh, it was brilliant. Paul does not say, I saw inexpressible things. What does he say, church? What does he say? He says, I heard inexpressible things. I heard them. What he heard was more or as equally impressive as what he saw because he said, I can't even tell you a man isn't even permitted to speak the things that I heard. Church, this is a brother who years earlier had held the coat for those who stoned Stephen to death. He held the coat for his fellow Jews who stoned Stephen to death. This is a brother now who's taken up to paradise. He's a Jewish believer now who's going to be taking the gospel to the Gentile world and he's up in heaven now. Maybe, maybe he heard Stephen say, I love you, brother. 
I don't think that's what he heard. But wouldn't that be great? What he heard was inexpressible by men. I happen to be a man, so I can't express it. But even if I imagine a little bit of what he might have heard, Paul, it's okay. You did what you did, but look what God has in store for you and look where I am. I'm in heaven. And our home's going to be together in the New Jerusalem, brother. Maybe he heard myriads and myriads of angels falling at the feet of the Lord and praising. Can you imagine what that sounds like? We know they don't measure much better than us, but I bet they do praise to God better than us, right? What do you think? But he heard inexpressible things. I saw no temple in it. The millennial, the millennium had a temple, didn't it? Here, there is no temple. God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God has illuminated it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Here's the key, church. Here's the key. No need of the sun, because God himself illuminates the city, and the lamp is the Lamb. The culmination of history. The one that illuminates our eyes to world history and what it's all about is the Lamb. And in heaven, we will know that the lamp that illuminates the new Jerusalem is the lamb because he will be the focus. He will be the light of the world that we all say, ah, this is what it's all about. This was what it's all about because the character and glory of God is wrapped up in who Jesus Christ is. It's wrapped up in his lambness, in his sacrificial lambness. He doesn't say, the lamp will be the lion. He says the lamp is the lamb, the sacrificial lamb. The nations will walk by its light. There'll be nothing unclean in it. There'll be no lying. There'll be no stealing. And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river was a tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding a fruit for every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, no in the throne of God and one of the throne of God, no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bondservants will serve him. Church, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night. The Lord God will illuminate them. Church, why will his name be on our foreheads? When the Antichrist was revealed in the book of Revelation, where did he put his mark? The forehead. What did that mark signify? Ownership. I own you. You can't buy or sell without me. I own you. Your mark is on the forehead so everybody can see that you worship me. My name, my number is on your head because you are owned by me. His name will be on our foreheads because he owns us. We are his. I own you and you want to be owned by me. Wow. God will illuminate them. What does that mean? God will illuminate them and they will reign forever. God will illuminate the city, but here he says God will illuminate them. And I love this and I, I want to show you this because I share this every chance I get. The son of man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom 
all stumbling blocks, all those who commit lawlessness, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let the one who hears this, let, let the one who has ears hear this. We will be illuminated by God. We will shine like the sun. We will shine like the sun. Church, we're going to have communion this morning. And if the men in the back, if you could prepare yourselves and come on down for communion, I would appreciate that. That would be great. Just come on down when you're ready. Church, in Revelation chapter 21, we're going to go back to verse 5 because this is important. How can we enjoy this new city? How can we be part of this new heaven and this new earth? Are there those of you here this morning who will not be joining us? who will retain sorrow, who will retain misery, who will hold on to sadness, who will hold on to bitterness and be cast into the lake of fire. Are there those of you this morning who do not want any part of what I described to you? Well, continue to resist the call of the Holy Spirit. Continue to resist the call of Jesus Christ in your life. Because Revelation 21.5 tells us, he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give water to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. The one who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. It's the overcomer church who gets to inherit these things. So men, if you would get the bread ready for distribution, I want to ask you, church, while the men are preparing to give you the bread, are you an overcomer? Are you an overcomer? And I'm going to tell you what that is in just a minute. Go ahead and distribute the bread, men, when you are ready. Because only overcomers will enter this city, and only overcomers should partake of the table of the Lord. Only overcomers. What is an overcomer? Revelation chapter 3 says this, church, I'm coming quickly. Hold firmly to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven from my God. So those of you men who are balding, there's going to be plenty of room for all this writing that's going to be on your forehead, so don't worry about it. Because there's going to be a lot of things written on your forehead. But that's a good thing. And, and Greg warned me this morning. So I'm going to say something. Because he's putting these names and insignias on our heads, it means that we are gods. Now, that doesn't mean that we are gods. We are his. When I say we are gods, that's what these names mean. We are his. We are gods. And he's proud of it. You don't put your name on something you're not proud of, do you? No. Artists don't sign something that they think is garbage. They sign something that they're proud of. God will put his name on our heads and we will rejoice if we're overcomers. What's an overcomer? John tells us this in 1 John 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves the child born of him. 
But this we know that we love, the, we love the children of God when we love God and follow his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Listen to this. For whoever has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the son of God? What is an overcomer, church? An overcomer is someone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, that he's the son of God. It's not somebody who works for salvation. It's not somebody who overcomes his own sin by his own hands. It's someone who overcomes this world of sin and death by putting their faith in Jesus Christ and his shed blood, his sacrificial work. That is an overcomer. So church, if you're an overcomer this morning, take part of the table. If you're not an overcomer this morning, don't partake of the table. But think about becoming part of the new heaven and earth. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ. And you can do it right where you're sitting. But family, for us, this is looking forward. This is a celebration this morning. This is a celebration of everything that awaits us in the new heaven and new earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for everything that you've prepared for us. And we thank you for preparing this table this morning. Amen. Let's eat together. After they ate the bread, Jesus distributed the fruit of the vine. Go ahead and distribute it. Jesus said, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until I do it again with you in my Father's kingdom. When we drink today, let's look forward to drinking again with our Christ, with our Lord in the kingdom of heaven.
church in the same way. Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray together, church. Jesus, Lord, we do this in remembrance of you, and we thank you and praise you for shedding your blood for us and for giving your body for us. And we thank you that you prepared for us a place in heaven, Lord, that is unspeakable in its beauty and its goodness. We praise and thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's drink together, church. Well, that's how it all ends. That's how it all ends. And I think it's a pretty good ending. We won't be home for Christmas, but we'll be there one day. So church, go and be blessed and enjoy everything that the Lord has blessed you with. Amen. <laughs>